0: You're listening to All Marine Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California, on the All Warrior Radio Network. Monday to you. Mike McNamara for a Monday edition of All Marine Radio. Yeah, how about that? He showed up. Yeah, with apologies, man. Um, I've been here on the East Coast doing post-traumatic winning all week, and I just did not have uh, the time to do anything. So uh, I'd apologize, but everybody knows what I'm doing, so it's not like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing so yeah like that so greetings from uh, Cherry Point North Carolina yeah just outside the beautiful city of Havelock yeah so I, I spent the week actually down in Beaufort yep so I was down in South Carolina, drove up here yesterday, and have been getting ready to uh, do post traumatic winning here tomorrow, and at New River this week. So uh, exciting stuff! I, and uh, I have to tell you, I mean, I I, I wish uh, some of you people that have seen, have listened to this for a long time could could see could see this. Um, it is just amazing. Um, honestly, the most humbling experience of a lifetime. Um, the, the Marines that come up to you that are so appreciative. And um, and now I've been doing this long enough, so, I mean, people are coming from for the second or the third time. I had a Marine come up to me and said, uh, I saw you in San Diego about a year and a half ago and uh i just want to say thank you i said well thanks man i appreciate that he said uh he said yeah this uh this program means a lot to me he said i think you saved my life yeah you're standing there and like what do you say you know what do you say and so <clears throat> it's um i don't even you know, a lot of times I don't even know how to describe the experience anymore. Um, I don't know, the superlatives, I don't want to say they've run out, but, uh, I don't know how to quite, I I don't know how to do it anymore. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just been amazing and it continues to be amazing on, uh, you know, on, on a daily basis. And, uh, I, I, I will tell you this, um, There's so many people that are struggling that want to have a conversation. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, they won't talk about it. Let me just tell you, man, they are dying to talk about it with somebody who thinks won't judge them and will understand them. So if I could give you any advice, if you have somebody in your family that's struggling or, you know, somebody, a friend or somebody and they don't want to talk about it. um, you know you have to lay the foundation to do this and um you know i think the biggest worry is somebody's going to judge me somebody's going to change their opinion of me because when they when they don't fear that um it's an amazing conversation it's an absolutely positively amazing conversation and um and you you see them just in the short period that you sit down and talk with them and you know and they kind of unburden themselves a little bit yeah, i mean there's even there's a there's even a transformation there that's amazing and 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 the other thing I'll tell you is that a lot of these young people they don't understand that they're miracles I mean the backgrounds they come from, you know I tell them you have no business being here, man. You're a miracle. Do you not know that? And they don't. They don't they, I mean I don't think anybody really looks at themselves as a miracle and and these you know these marines and sailors certainly don't. But I'll tell you what. They sure as hell are, man. I would tell you that. They sure as hell are because you listen to the stories of the backgrounds they come from and uh it's head shaking. Head shaking. You know, I know I I think, man, I was so lucky to grow up the way I grew up. And, uh, and so anyway, um, <clears throat> so here's what I think we're going to do today, this week. I'll give you a little heads up. Um, today, Grant Newsham's going to join me and we're going to talk about, um, General Milley's phone call. I've heard a, a, a number of things about that. So we'll ask Grant about that. Um, we'll also, France recalls its ambassador. Right? Both to the United States and to UK and to Australia. You know, so a bit of a head scratcher to me. So we'll talk to Grant about that as well. We'll see what he's writing about. And uh, so we'll get Grant's thoughts about those things. And then I think tomorrow we're going to do a little drone talk. And uh, the. <clears throat> the uh, I, I will tell you, as somebody who did a lot of that stuff. It's beyond me how you kill that many kids, and uh, <clears throat> when nobody's in extremis. So the more the uh, information that comes out of that, you know, it just looks like amateur. I, you know, I don't, I don't understand. And again, I, I did an awful lot, so I am going to try to get our <clears throat> air officer on. Uh, one of our officers, uh, Kurt Knowles from Afghanistan, and, and we'll just kind of, you know, I'll ask questions and we'll kind of explain that stuff. Um, the rules of engagement as they are, what your responsibility is, how, how this stuff actually works, or at least when we did it, which was, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, so we'll do that. And then I've got an interview from an author. And his name's Donald Stokes, and he wrote a book called Why America Loses Wars. So you'll hear a conversation that I had with him, and then hopefully we'll be able to record some Mensa stuff this week. But I'm speaking all week, and it makes it very difficult, honestly. Um, I normally speak from early in the morning, you know, till late in the afternoon, and then, you know, people want to hang out and talk, and so... Uh, by the time I get back here, the last thing I feel like doing is listening to those fools um no i'm just kidding um uh, I just don't have time so um so but <clears throat> hopefully there'll be a few podcasts this week, and that should make everybody happy for everybody who checked on my well being thank you very much um i'm fine and uh and honestly um I don't know how I could be better. Um, as I constantly say, I have one of the coolest jobs in the world. And um, the work that I do on a daily basis is just phenomenal. So <clears throat> it's uh, it's a thing you dream about if you've ever been a leader, to be in a position to influence people and to touch lives and things like that. I I I won the lottery. So uh, we're going to get Grant Newsom on here. So you're going to hear a beep, and then Grant will join us. So... Stand by. Joining us now is uh, Grant Newsham. Uh, Grant, first of all, um, where are you? And then second of all, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm in my usual place it, um, in Formosa, and I'm, of course, doing uh, pretty well. It, um, yeah, I'm sort of cooling off slightly, but uh, you know, by and large, okay, though it does seem that every day when I turn on the, the the computer to read the news, there's one more thing which depresses me even further, but that's been going on for a long time well I mean uh, I, one, I th- one of these days
0: I think it's it's certainly an uh, a tribute to your inability to learn that you keep reading the news. I mean, come on, like what are you are you a glutton for punishment like when at what point will you learn that you know you just need to back away from that because it's absolutely awful.
1: Yeah, well when I mean you know, I'm headed for the uh baseball scores and I get way late <laughs> by the uh, <clears throat> the rest of the news so that that's what's going on. Exactly. You know, I, I try to keep my eyes shut, but
0: it doesn't always work. Um let's talk about um uh the biggest two events in the Pacific Rim. Um, one is uh General Milley very much in the news after Bob Woodward um, i don't know if his books have actually been published yet but allegations from a from a pending book i think and then um and then france recalls its ambassadors to what the united states australia and uh and the uk uh over um and, uh american UK, uk and australian um deal about nuclear submarine. So I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. So, um, yeah, I like, I, whose side is Mr. Macron on? I mean, or which is kind of probably a silly question to ask, right? He's on that side. He's, he's always been on, um, the, uh, so let's, uh, let's start with General Milley. What, what do you make of that? And, uh, first of all, um, relative to the story itself do you believe woodward's account do you have any experience with bob woodward um what are your thoughts on the, his his reporting if you will
1: yeah you know when you you hear this you know even if you're inclined <laughs> inclined to believe what woodward writes um just because of your opinion of the person he's writing about uh, you really have to step back uh, woodward is Uh, not always the most credible of uh, reporters. Uh, And that's a nice way of saying, like he seems to lie sometimes. Uh, And the thing that everyone really points out, uh, points to is um, a book he wrote. It was a while back in which um, he interviewed uh, William Casey, who was the uh, former head of the CIA. And Casey was in the hospital dying and he apparently couldn't speak was barely sentient or conscious if that and woodward writes about a discussion he had an interview he had with casey when he was in that that state and it's widely recognized that this is impossible i think um woodward said that what he did was well he uh you know he like read some statements and told casey to like blink his eyes or something like that um, but the whole thing was ridiculous, and Woodward's credibility at that point, you know, has been—it's been suspect ever since, if it wasn't even before that. Uh, so when I saw the, you know, the reports that, you know, what was said in Woodward's book, you know, I've wanted to wait and see what really happened, because I have my doubts that it's as reported. Um, if it—if it is true as reported, that's of course very, very serious, uh, to put it mildly. Um, But as I said, I would like to hear um, what really happened. I would be ideally what uh, DOD or Milley's office should do is they should release the transcripts. Um, People seem to have no trouble releasing transcripts of private conversations uh, Mr. Trump had with foreign leaders uh, really from the the day Trump got in office. Uh, So I would like to see them do this just this time just to uh, alleviate any concerns uh, people might have as to what happened. Because uh, th- this one really is is important, and you know where I see that the big issue beyond you know the idea of a, a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff undercutting a U.S. president, uh, and not just the U.S. president, but everyone else who handles foreign affairs, um, that you know I said what this episode reminded me of was how. On the U.S. side, particularly at DOD level, in the, in the DOD, and up at the highest levels, that they they have a strange view of how you handle China, and they almost seem to think that the Chinese are these half-witted children who don't know how the world works, who know nothing about America, and therefore it's us to us up to us to make sure that they understand exactly what what the situation is, because we don't want the Chinese to miscalculate. So we have to tell them um, exactly what we're doing and that we mean no harm, etc., as if they can't figure it out themselves. And one, they have good intelligence in their own right. They have lobbyists all over the place in Washington who are you know, telling them uh, what's really going on in in the US. Uh, they could even just call up a half dozen or more congressmen or senators and ask them to tell them what's going on, given the relationship uh, which, which they've got with them and or their staff. Uh, so, you know, how, why the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff would feel the need to call up the Chinese or vice versa, or to take their call, if that's the case, and just to make sure and to, to lay his cards out, to make sure that the Chinese are, are happy and satisfied uh, is insane. And yet this is the approach that um, DOD and America's military leaders have taken for a long time towards the Chinese. And it reflects really a, really the control or domination of the China intel, China intelligence um, business that a certain it's a fairly small group of uh, intelligence people uh, have had and the influence they've had. And they've all been in place a long time and they've always been completely wrong. And if you listen to you know, to what Miley said, what his office says and as their excuses, and also there's a clip um, out there somewhere floating around on the Internet. I think it was Miley in 2017 uh, explaining to Congress why Russia was the big threat and China is not an enemy. And he was basically saying what those intelligence guys that I've mentioned have been saying word for word as if he's just parroting their language and this is not a healthy thing you know to have us thinking that we have to uh, basically tell the Chinese what we're doing what we're not going to do what we are going to do you can see the Chinese playing us for you know playing that uh, successfully at some point in the future where all they have to do is say look you know we don't know what you Americans are doing and you know we feel like we may have to uh, do something to defend ourselves. You know, we've got these nuclear weapons, you know, and you get the Americans to to come clean with what they're they're thinking. You might even have them preemptively pull back, uh, which appears to be something that the Americans did do uh, during the the time in question when Millie was talking to them, because they they didn't want to you know, frighten the Chinese. Uh, they apparently we didn't do some exercises or some uh, sail some ships in certain places down in the South China Sea because we didn't want to scare the Chinese well the Chinese are going to play us if they've got idiots on the other side of the table they're going to do do something to us so you see us pulling back just to make sure that the Chinese aren't aren't worried and the Chinese smack us you know while we're pulling back uh, the whole thing is is just crazy you know so it's I see the the the, the issue of Milly talking to the Chinese in, is is one thing but then the other reflects a much deeper-seated problem that the Americans have had for a long time in getting their you know, approach to China right. Uh, and instead of treating China as an enemy and an intelligent one, uh, we tend to treat them as like just sort of dim-witted Canadians, which they are not. Uh, so that's how I look at all of this. Um, but when you hear the word Bob Woodward, you know, no, matter, you know, no matter how good the story seems to be, uh, it's probably not quite like he says it was. Just my take.
0: All right. <clears throat> Let's talk about um, um, Emmanuel Macron um, recalled his ambassador for the United States over uh, a deal the United States has with uh, Australia um, relative to nuclear submarines. Um, <laughs> what is your take on that?
1: Oh boy, the the Frenchies are they're madder than hornets. It's actually kind of fun to watch, uh, in a Schadenfreude kind of way, uh, because the French have just caused so much trouble um, for their friends over the years, Um, and and they know exactly why the deal is cancelled. And what you've mentioned talking about is the Australians canceling a deal they had with the French to build. A dozen or so submarines for them uh, and the australians canceled it and instead signed an agreement with the americans and the british that they will work together to build sub to get the australian submarines and they will be nuclear submarines uh, as well so the, the french are not happy about it because they were uh, one they've lost the contract and, and um they had a pretty good deal going because the original the original price was about 35 billion uh, dollars or so, and they've already got it jacked it up to 60 billion and headed north, and so they uh, thought they could squeeze the Australians like in perpetuity, but it looks like they can't. So they're ha- they're unhappy about that, and then it is of course embarrassing you know, to have this happen, um, and the, so the French are some of the French are sort of having a fit a tantrum. And it's it's what they do. And, you know, they will try to get, believe me, they will try to get revenge on the Australians, on the Americans, and everyone else on this long list of you know, the people they are resentful of. Uh, you know, how far this will go, I don't know. But it's, I tend to, to look at it as something that uh, just makes the whatever relationship we have with the French marginally worse. Uh, But then again, one should never forget the French are an ally at the end of the day. (laughs) Uh, And and they are they do have a considerable presence in in the Pacific. And this is a good thing. And somehow we're going to have to, you know, they are going to have to swallow their pride. That may be a long term effort. Uh, But the it's in both it's in everybody's interest that the French cooperate with us and vice versa. Uh, so we, we'll see how this plays out. Um, you know, one does note that that it, you know, the this maybe could have been handled better by the Biden administration. It could have been. And but you keep in mind, there it was supposed to be Mr. Trump who destroyed relationships, and that was the thing he was always criticized for. There was no evidence behind it, of course. And here you have the Biden administration. I mean, with a Secretary of State who speaks French. Uh, that they have um, absolutely ignited sort of French resentments. And so, you know, who is it that was destroying relationships? I think the the Biden administration ought to apologize to a few people. Um, But it's, um, you know, say it's not surprising. If you remember when the original deal for the submarines was signed, I think it was back in 2016 that the Japanese had actually offered to build submarines for the Australians and, they they thought they had the deal in fact they were actually planning to hold like a barbecue party at the japanese embassy in australia and at the last minute the australians went with the french and that was a was a mistake i think um, in a in certainly it would have been politically just just in earth, earth shattering if you could have got the the australians and the japanese to cooperate on something like building submarines. It would have just had huge political significance. Uh, But also, if they had done that, I think the Australians would have their submarines by now on time and on budget. That's the way the Japanese do things. And so it's maybe not surprising that the whole thing broke down um, eventually. I'm a little surprised that that it broke down as quickly as it did, given the way that uh, these sorts of things can linger for longer than one would would imagine uh, so. I, it's you know it, it'll. I don't know when this will be forgotten about because the French have long memories. Um, but the but it's it's you know, part of the game, as I see it. And, and having the the Australians, the British, and the the Yankees agree to um, cooperate on the submarine, the nuclear submarine uh, issue, is a big deal in its own right. But the agreement also calls for cooperation on a lot of other things, like cyber um, artificial intelligence undersea warfare and and a range of activities so it's not just a submarine deal and hey hey, grant let me let
0: me ask you a question about that i mean is it significant is this deal significant um in the shadow of uh, the united kingdom's departure from the european union is that what enables this
1: I think it does, you know, in a way, because if you're not tied to the EU, it gives you a lot more freedom of movement right. uh, and keep in you know, Remember that the EU, as I understand it, for these sorts of things, any member, it's just even if one member objects to it, they can pretty much stop the whole thing. Right. So Britain or England really doesn't need uh, everybody's permission anymore. So this is, I think, an outcome of the British uh, getting out of the EU and the EU itself is, is having to sort of catch its breath really fast over all this and decide if it's going to uh, do the kinds of things that will get you taken, get you taken seriously by both your friends um, and your enemies, even if you don't realize that your enemies are your enemies. Uh, so this is all, this really up, should have shifted the dynamic in terms of Asia Pacific defense uh, quite a lot. Um, you know things you know happen now and then, but this and they don't really have much effect. But this one really does, uh, and I think it's a good thing. I would like, hopefully, the Americans in particular will uh, run with this and not just consider the fact they've signed this deal or got a deal to be the end, but rather to push it forward, uh, make it cooperation in a, a lot of different areas, and also once things have set or settled in, then get the Japanese to join in, maybe even Uh, say, another country or two, maybe even Taiwan. Uh, But bring them in, you know, to some extent. It doesn't have to be on the nuclear submarine part because that poses some issues uh, for the Japanese in particular. Um, But there's other places you can cooperate, particularly on the technology end. Um, And once you start cooperating with people, you tend to view them differently. You get the the sort of, it's a deeper relationship than than if you're just... um, like shake hands with them twice a year at a meeting. But when you start doing something together, uh, just everything deepens and it it becomes a stronger relationship. And this is something that the Chinese don't like to see as other countries joining up uh, to present a united front. But it will be good to take this beyond just the three English-speaking countries and get some non-English-speaking countries into it uh, in Asia. But also it has a, if, if done right, it reinforces the so-called Quad, that relationship, basically for now, a security relationship between the Americans, the Japanese, the Australians, and the Indians. But this, uh, the nuclear submarine deal and the uh, sort of the other areas where they agreed to cooperate, if you add that to uh, Quad resources and even you know sort of um, link it in somehow at some point. Uh, that gives you, sort of up upgrade your defense capabilities uh, substantially. So this is a this is, is a big deal. Um, and I will give the Biden administration credit for having done it, uh, pulled it off. And you know they managed they were able to keep a secret secret, which is to their credit. Uh, but it, it was a good achievement. But now it it's um, the test is what do they do with it, and how fast do they bring it to fruition. Because uh, part of the deal is that, um, as I understand it, that um, if things take their natural course, the Australians wouldn't have nuclear submarines of their own until for about 10 years. And 10 years is too long to wait, um, to my way of thinking. So, you know, there's options, you, there's ways you can get get the Australian submarines quicker, which would be to put some American subs down in Australia sort of real soon. Uh, and help the, the Australians build up their capabilities um, that way, and you know really get right you know hands on a hands on approach by the the U.S. Navy at, at, and others um, to you know give them something right away and get out and start operating. Uh, the the base that's been mentioned is the I think it's called HMAS Stirling, which is down down in, near Perth. Uh, so that's um you know that's what needs to be done and that's the thing to watch for is to see how fast they actually move with this and hopefully it won't be just another um you know, quad or excuse me pivot to asia if you remember back in the obama administration when they announced this pivot to asia and it it was made for a nice press conference but it never really translated into anything beyond that um, in real terms
0: can you um in terms of, let me ask you to be the Chinese uh, foreign minister, the Chinese secretary of defense. Um, in this move, uh, what's the most dangerous part of this move? Is it is it uh, concerted action, which we all know is, is the thing that threatens the Chinese the most? What is the most, from their perspective, what is the most dangerous piece of all of this?
1: You know, I, I think you've got to the, the big one, which is the the alliance or the the alliance in concrete terms of some of their opponents. And that really causes them problems because they like to split their opposition, take care of them one on one. But this makes it hard. And now they're trying to also they have the fear that, well, other nations might want in on this. If not this particular deal, uh, which would be hard, at least to maybe cooperate more with these uh, the free nations uh, and stand you know sort of stand up more to China. It suggests that the free countries just might defend themselves, and that tends to have a bracing effect and a, in a, in a sort, of, sort of an attraction uh, for some countries which are, have their doubts. You know that could even include say Japan. Um, Maybe even South Korea, the Philippines, and Singapore. Even I'm not sure it's not too late with Singapore, but possibly. But other countries see that the Americans are not rolling over, that the Australians are standing tough as well. The Indians are not showing any signs of backing off. Uh, you know, they reckon they've been at war with the Chinese since 1962 anyway. Uh, so this it's this demonstration of commitment. Uh, and a willingness to defend oh, oneself oh the C
0: is, word that's not a, that's not one that the chinese like to hear
1: no they they don't it's you know they the idea that you're going to defend yourself is one that and that you're serious about it causes them lots of lots of concern uh, there was um you know there was a fellow named James Lilly uh, i think i may have mentioned him before who you was have? V- one of the real china experts it was passed away passed on a while ago uh, but he used to say that um the uh it says with the chinese first they try to first they try to to pay you or to bribe you and then they they try to scare you and after that they're stumped and uh-huh. you find that when people do tell the chinese you know no you know we're going to we're not backing down and we're going to take care of ourselves And if you don't like it tough, you you don't have to say it in those words, but you can get your point across. That really perplexes them. And in foreign affairs, military matters and business, that is really the only way to uh, to deal with them is, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, there is really no room for compromise, um, except in the, the rarest of circumstances. And you have to operate from a position of strength. Uh, and anything less than that well you'll get eaten alive so this deal does suggest that uh, maybe these people that they were the chinese were doing so well subverting bribing paying off uh offering holding out the the lure of the access to the chinese market uh that maybe they're actually w- wise, wised up and are not going to be so accommodating so that causes them some concern and then plus the the idea of more um, nuclear submarines in the region being operated by uh, free countries—in this case, the Australians—and you know, maybe the British would have a, a couple out here as well—that uh, this, in you know, just a purely operational sense, causes you some uh, additional uh, concern. Uh, so th- this is—you can see from the Chinese response that they have—they weren't quite ready for this—and uh, it's left them confused. They will, of course, they'll. Um, they'll get their balance back eventually and start screaming bloody murder and stepping pushing you know, stepping up the, the pressure on Taiwan and Japan. And, um, they've already started, I think, the economic pressure on Taiwan again with uh, prohibiting the uh, imports of a couple types of Ch- Taiwanese apples. Uh, so it's you know you kind of know what's coming uh, with them, but it is a big deal when say the the free world and the main powers in it or some of them, uh, do decide that they're going to defend themselves. Uh, and the the Chinese were happy to have the Australians and the French um, building submarines, or the French building the submarines, because you know, it was going to take 20 years, and it would have probably taken all of Australia's money to actually complete these things. But this has been a—that uh, what that deal has been replaced with something— uh, a lot more frightening from a Chinese perspective.
0: Um, I want to talk about something you wrote here uh, next, but before we do that, um, Mr. Kim's lost a lot of weight. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, but, uh, he's,
1: he's, he's looking good. You know, he looks like Pompeo. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah I did. He's the um, yeah, he's really North, North, down. North I, Korean I he, version I, I, of Mike Pompeo. <laughs> Well, vice versa, but the um, or the uh, he may have um, been talking to your friend Tommy Lasorda, I think, to sort of drop a few pounds as well. Well, uh, slim fast diet.
0: Since uh, Tommy has left the orbit, um, that would be an interesting conversation. The um, so anything? Uh, nothing. He's been quiet for a while. What is? Uh, have the Chinese just told oh. him, "Just shut up," and and uh, we have some stuff we got to do, so you need to shut up. So, uh, what is what happened? All of a sudden, he went away.
1: Uh, well, actually, he's come back, um, and the weight thing—that's—you um, hear different things, and I have no idea. But it, some were saying that it's um, like a ploy to to show that the rest of the <laughs> North Koreans who don't have any food that. You know the dear leaders also tightened in his belt, literally and figuratively, uh, to you know to sort of suffer along with them. You, you hear that, but that's really uh, a, a speculation at best. But in terms of him going away, uh, actually last week or within the last it was within the last week or so, um, the North Koreans they test fired a sort of a cruise missile that went about 1,500 miles or so. And, you know, potentially you could put a nuclear weapon on that, uh, but it's a new type of weapon that they haven't demonstrated before. And that was got some attention um, in uh, the circles that follow this. Uh, and also they launched two ballistic missiles just the other day that went into Japan's exclusive economic zone, you don't have to go very far from North Korea to get into that easy right. of Japan. But nonetheless, it was, you know, it, it's easy for us to sort of brush it off. But when you're the Japanese, it's a lot less easy to to brush off. So they did actually do some things that are provocative. Uh, these the, the ballistic missile launches violate UN resolutions, UN orders to North Korea not to do these things. Um, nothing's going to happen to them. The the cruise missile test, you can debate if it violated any laws, but certainly violated the spirit of it. And the it also shows you that the Chinese did not stop them, didn't rein them in, and that is, that is significant. The Chinese have um, long since sort of given up the idea that they're going to do the Americans any favors and they're glad to have north korea acting like it does um, and one might say this is also a, an outcome of the disaster in afghanistan where the chinese don't really think we're serious or capable of doing much uh, to stop them so within say within the last 10 days or so there have been uh, a couple things that uh, from the north uh, that have gotten people's attention um, but you know, if you follow North Korea for 30 years, you, um, you, know, you do. You know, no matter what it is, it almost seems a little bit ho hum. It's what we've seen before. Uh, they want some attention, and they want somebody to give them stuff, you know, food, oil, money, etc. In exchange, they will only be sort of um, less troublesome for a little bit, and then they'll repeat the process. So it's it's really nothing new, but it is um, a sign that. Neither North Korea or China are really interested in changing their behavior.
0: Got it. So I'm perusing the latest cop, my latest edition of the Epic Times, and I see a headline with your name on it. China went to war a long time ago, but the U.S. didn't. And then parentheses, right? Want to yeah. close parenthetical notice. Um, what are you writing about? What are, uh, what are we doing? What are, talk to me? What's going on? What's going on? Um, What's What's all that about?
1: Oh, I just got around finally to writing an article uh, which points out that that while the Americans always talk about a competition uh, with the with the, the, the Chinese, you know, that the Chinese have for the last 30 plus years uh, have actually considered themselves to be at war with us. And that's what I'm sort of pointing. How do you, how out how do you is, know
0: that they seem very friendly?
1: <laughs> yeah, if you go into House of Hunan, um, you know, for the lunch <laughs> special, they're always very friendly. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, Winnie but... the Winnie the Winnie the Pooh smiles all the time. He's very nice. Seems very pleasant, mm-hmm.
1: man. Yeah. Well, you know, here's and well, one thing they they tell us. You know, you just you know read the the Chinese press for a week, and just even the English translations. And the language uh, is what you say to people you're at war with. And they've also said this, you know, the um, and I'll explain a little further. But right after Tiananmen Square, the, the massacre in 1989, the Chinese government gave orders to the its military to be able to defeat a country that has aircraft carriers. And they have set up, which is us, and they have set about. You know, the the quick, the biggest, fastest military buildup in history. And they have now got a military that in certain circumstances, in certain locations could perhaps defeat us. Uh, and that's pretty good to have come that far in, in 20, say, 20 years or so. And the Chinese keep in mind that they have, they've, nobody has ever called for attacking China in fact, it's been the reverse. The, the free world has bent over backwards to welcome into, them into civilized society. And they have done nothing to reciprocate sort of that friendly treatment. And what I, so what I talk about in the article is I describe the military buildup as one thing, but then the Chinese see this as a, a multifaceted sort of a war that's prosecuted on a number of different fronts at the same time to include, say, an economic front, uh, the idea being to sort of displace and destroy Western companies, American companies, and replace them with Chinese companies. Uh, there's a f- trade war uh, as well that we know we hear a lot about uh, as well, where you, you make it impossible for foreign firms to survive over any extended period in the China market uh, and eventually strip them of their, their um uh, technology and their their know how, et etc, and once again, replace it with Chinese uh, companies. You have the financial front of this war where China has been going all out to destroy the the u s dollar or to and we 've been helping them of course uh, to displace the u s dollar as the world 's reserve currency and once you take that once you can accomplish that, um, America has lost its last big sort of stranglehold potential stranglehold over China, uh, the threat of cutting them off from the US dollar network. Uh, Additionally, if you do that, America, if we're not the reserve currency, you'll find that our our economy will collapse in short order. We won't even be able to fund our own defense. Um, You also have a drug war that they've got going, and that's been going on for a while. But in the last five, six years, uh, China has been into the United States, um, mostly via Mexican drug gangs. And last year, that killed 60,000 Americans from fentanyl. The, the total dead from opioids was about 90,000. So 60,000 dead that you can tie directly to Chinese drugs, um, that's more than were killed in the entire Vietnam War. And you know, what's not to like from China's perspective? Um, they conduct a sort of a political warfare campaign. In fact, all of this. You know, fits that I've, everything I've described fits into what you would call political warfare. Um, but this is you know, buying off America's elite classes, um, academia, officialdom, um, even parts of chunks of the U.S. military at the top levels. Are just have always liked to engage with China, and they enjoy those trips that they get to take to meet Chinese officials. Um, additionally, you've got the political class. Um, really, hopelessly subverted. You have Wall Street and America's business classes, uh, which see China. Wall Street, subvert- Wall Street, grant we, is is hopeful,
0: yeah, we, hopefully subverted, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, hope, hopelessly. And so, no, no no, know, no, 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 so,
0: not Wall Street. Wall Street, hopefully subverted. They are like so excited to be subverted, with the opportunity to to fund China. All the returns are going to get there. They do it with glee. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: That's true, and they throw somebody else's money into it, yep. and they get a cut of it going into China and coming out of china uh, so you've, you' you look at all these things I've just discussed or described, and it is this say that they're different fronts in uh, really a war, and the only thing missing is the the shooting, um, but done right from china's perspective, you put your opponent in a position where they cannot can't respond at any reasonable cost right. i say if you if you do it right and you know one aspect of the sort of the subversion which takes place is that you create this constituency in the u.s they say particularly business uh, finance academia that s- will put pressure on any u.s administration to not stand up to china because if you get china mad it you know, cost them money and they don't get their visas and all, expensive inv- all expense invitations to seminars in China, etc. So, th- this is you know, from a Chinese perspective, if you're thinking from a longer perspective, you know, for a longer period, and you think of this as applying pressure from a number of different directions, um, that this is like a war that has already started and it's been going on for a while. And I would say probably 20, 30 years is about the right, um, you know, the the right approach to it. You know, you look for the results they've had, um, you know, go to Youngstown, Ohio or Uniontown, Pennsylvania or Baltimore. These places where manufacturing has been sold to China by America's elite classes. And what you've left behind are these place gutted neighborhoods that look like a war has been fought there. Only you know, people there, you know, too often zombies, and drug addicted, because that's the what the opportunities are, and that's a pretty good, you know, you'd have to consider somebody should be getting like Navy Achievement Awards or whatever the Chinese equivalent of it is for having pulled that off, and all of this makes it much harder for America to defend itself. It's, It uh, weakens and demoralizes the U.S. uh, over time.
0: There's friction at every step from Wall Street, from, you know, from allies, from, uh, you know, from political entities. And so, no, no, that's a great observation. What, uh, so you, now you've been.
1: There's even a book a a couple of Chinese uh, colonels wrote, and they've updated it recently, and it's called Unrestricted Warfare. And it basically lays out everything I've said. Um, but as we know, the Chinese are half-witted children, and they're incapable of actually thinking about, you know, what they, you know, what strategy and carrying it out. I'm joking about that. They are as intelligent as us. Um, they're just not as nice as Canadians. Um, and they do they do mean us as harm. So whenever you hear, um, you know, President Biden and his crowd and or any administration talking about competition with China, We want to, you know, it would be a tough competition, but we want to compete with them. Well, you know, that's what like Avis and Hertz used to do. Uh, Well, maybe they still do. The, um, you know, rental car companies compete, Coke and Pepsi compete, uh, but not democracies and these horrendous dictatorships. Uh, We may think we're competing with them, but they're glad to have us think that while they are trying to destroy us. And so that's what I'm getting at. And it, it's not, it's really stating the obvious. Now, I don't think that I've discovered anything which wasn't obvious and that others haven't pointed out um, a long, long time ago. Um, but anyone who was saying this over the last 20 years, you, you'd find that they were you know, ignored, ridiculed, ostracized, and in some cases fired from their jobs. Uh, you weren't allowed to say this. Uh, and we are where we are. And so, you know, hopefully that You know, that this administration and others and the Trump administration did um, parts of it. Uh, They did understand that this is a war from the Chinese perspective, you know, looking to destroy us and that you have to go look at things from that perspective. Otherwise, if you just think it's competition of um, sort of a, you know, can get sharp elbowed, but uh, basically innocuous uh, that you do that, you'll probably lose or if you somehow pull it out it's going to be at much much greater cost and bloodshed than uh, than you would have would otherwise have been the case
0: what are you writing next
1: um i don't know i have to let the uh the sort of resentment build up that's <laughs> sort of how i decide what to write about i get resentful about uh... something but i think i'm going to try something about the pacific islands oh you know that, you know that middle. You know when you look at a map of the Pacific, there's the middle part, and then a little bit down to the bottom. Yep. That might as well be like those old, you know, Middle Ages maps where they would have question marks and waterfalls and dragons because they didn't know what was out there. Um, you well, we do know what's out there, but nobody pays it much attention, except for the Chinese, um, and a few sort of um, eccentrics on the U.S. side. Uh, that so that I'm going to write something along those lines because the Chinese uh, have been they've had a 30-year war of subversion going on there, and the Americans have kind of woken up. And during the Trump administration, though that Central Pacific uh, region and Southern Pacific got more attention than it has in the previous 40 years put together, but it doesn't um, you know it, it's it need more needs done. So that's what I'm going to. I think, try and find some angle to, um, you know, sort of state the obvious once again.
0: All right. Well, Grant, first of all, um, certainly, um, you know, somebody sent me an email this week and told me that, you know, Mac, uh, he was asking me if I knew about uh, your trips to Afghanistan. I said, you know, he's never really brought that up. So I'm not sure if you're... If you're up to speaking of that, but at some point in the future, um, if you would be open to it, I'd be curious to know, uh, get your thoughts on, get your experiences in a very general way in (laughs) Afghanistan (laughs) and get your your thoughts on all of it. So, uh, yeah, a little birdie whispered to me.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but it'd be like talking to some guy in a South Boston bar at 1 a.m. kind
0: of. Well, always always an amusing conversation to say the least.
1: Yeah, well, everybody's yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I could probably talk for a good thirty seconds or so before I run <laughs> run out of stuff. <laughs> One of these days. Uh,
0: all right. Well, Grant. First of all, thank you very much. Always, always enjoy it. Uh, sure. I apologize for being uh, a little tardy, but uh, uh, I've been traveling and doing stuff. So, thank you very much for hopping on. I appreciate
1: it. Sure, anytime. Always enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Uh, that'll do it on a Monday good to see I still remembered how to do this uh thanks for listening um I have a couple friends that have been going to funerals this past week for marines that were killed in Afghanistan so keep those families in your prayers they will certainly need it um thanks for listening today on this Monday and you know just a reminder if you know people that are struggling I mean take it from me they want to talk about it and um, there's normally a lot of different reasons why people don't so figure out a way to communicate to them that you would never judge them and that anytime they want to talk that uh, you're more than willing to uh more than willing to help so on that note I think we'll be back tomorrow I'm pretty sure yes one way or the other we'll be back tomorrow I'm Mike McNamara the is All Marine Radio have a great Monday I'm out